Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We're continuing with our series of sermons from the early church as presented to us in the book of Acts and we're going to begin right exactly where we left off last Sunday night in the fifth chapter we concluded with the 13th verse and I want to begin to read with verse 14 and we'll read down through verse 20 and believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both of men and women insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also the multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And may the Lord add his blessing to his word. Let us unite together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege that is ours to share together in your word. We thank you for each one present this morning and pray that your spirit would be outpoured upon us and our lives would be blessed as we have already received the blessing through the Sunday school and now through this portion of the service, we pray that you would enter our hearts in a mighty way this morning, now through the preached word, for in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In order to understand the scripture that we just read, it's necessary for us to briefly review in just a few moments the portion, uh, the early portion of that fifth chapter. You may recall that the early portion of this chapter dealt with a man and his wife who had sold some property and had given the money, part of it, not all of it, but a portion of the money from the sale to the church. There was nothing wrong in what they did except in what they pretended. That is, they pretended that they had given the entire price of the land to the church When in fact they lied about it, they had given just a portion of it, which was nothing wrong with giving the portion. The problem was they had lied. They had lied to the church, but more importantly, they had lied to God. As a result of that, God punished them very severely. As a matter of fact, he took their life. They both died as a result of the lie. The interesting portion of verses 12 and 13 leads us to believe that there were some of the people who were a part of the church that got pretty scared about their own life and tried to stay away from Peter for fear that he might ask them what they had done with their property and they didn't want to answer. 
There were two groups of people in chapter, or in verse 12. We find evidently a group that were very much sticklers with the apostles, with Peter and John and the others, and continued to be very faithful in their service. And then in verse 13, there was a group of those that we might call the fringe of the church who kept their distance, who didn't get very close to those who were actually uh, the, the faithful in the church. There, there are lots of fringe people to the church. Lots of fringe individuals who really are, do not want to be a vital part of the function of the church, but don't want to get so far away but what they might be able to identify with the church if the situation warranted it. Those keep their distance except in times of necessity. They keep their distance except when there is a funeral or a wedding or some other function. But the normal day-in, day-out affairs of the church, the attendance of the services, the, the contribution to the church with time, talent, and money, the whole thing, they become fringe individuals who if you would ask, are you a part of the church, they would say yes, but we might find that they in fact are far from being very vital to the function of the church. I was very interested in seeing the, the numbers that uh, are identified as resident members of this church. I think there's 155, if I recall, resident members of this church. Did you hear the figure I gave you? 155 people who live in this community who identify themselves as being members of this church. I said 155. Let's see. 76 plus or minus 80, 85, almost never 90, once in a while 100 in attendance. But I said members of this church. We have a great fringe. A great fringe. Who are identified by some means or other. And here were these. But in the midst of this congregation of people, an event took place that shook them to their very foundation. And that is two members of the church lied to God and were struck dead in the church building. And they picked them up and carried them out and buried them. It began then to sort out the members of the church. Those who were faithful became very faithful. And those who were on the fringe began to find that they desired to stay at a distance. They had other interests, other affairs that claimed their time, their talent, and their money. And they began to drift aside. And we would think, this is terrible that people began to leave the church. There are times that the best thing in the world that can happen is for people to leave the church. Now I know I'm going to shock some of you and maybe even make some of you mad. And that's quite all right. Because there comes a time in the needs of any group of people when a purging becomes important and valuable because the real members of the church will stand up and be counted and it's the friends that fade away. 
Out of this purging of this congregation in the book of Acts, we find that God was able then to begin to perform mightily the works that needed to be done. People were beginning to flock to the church and they were being healed. Why? Because sin had been purged, the church had gotten right, and it became the body of Christ like it should have been. It ceased to be a social organization. It ceased to be a group of people who identified themselves with a building. It became the real vital family identified with Jesus Christ. And because of it, God then was able to get back to work. We might say that the Holy Spirit became ungrieved. You remember the scripture tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. It tells us that when the Holy Spirit is grieved, then the function of God within a church ceases to be as, as great as it ought to be. If the Holy Spirit is not working in any congregation, we can begin to question why, and we will suddenly discover when we search it far enough that it's because sin has begun to choke the Holy Spirit. And sin is that which is contained within the individual lives of the people who claim to be a part of the church. On the evening of the Lord's trial that preceded his crucifixion, he sat at meal with with his little group of disciples. They were eating together, talking as we would do at any meal, and Jesus sat perhaps at the head of the table. And finally Jesus said to them, one of you will betray me. You can imagine that that group of 12 men got very, very quiet. One of you will betray me. They became nervous. For they heard in their mind, one of you will betray me. They cast their eyes sideways to each other as I would have done had I been in that group. And the thing that they began to do is the thing that I would have done had I been in that group. I began to wonder, is he talking about me? Did he say my name? Am I going to be guilty of betraying my Lord? Peter, John, Matthew, Andrew, and the others, and Judas all began to say, Lord, is it I? Am I guilty? And they were trying to go about the eating process and look nonchalant, but being cut to the very heart. And they began to put their bread in the bowl of the soup, to take it out as was their custom. And as Judas put his in and took it out, he said, Lord, is it I? And Jesus said, what you're going to do, go do it and get it over with. Do it quickly. 
cut to the heart. Why? Because Judas was not a real vital part of that fellowship. Because he was one, although he was a member of the group whose heart was not regenerated. Whose life was doomed for an eternity of hell even though he claimed discipleship. And across our land, in every church that's meeting this morning, from Turtle Creek to Washington, D.C., to San Francisco, wherever one might go, churches are meeting full of people who some are vital devoted followers of the Lord and others are dipping their hand into the bowl and Jesus is saying what you're going to do get it over with get it over with Lord is it I and out of this entire experience that happened in this early church the scripture says that the multitudes began to come and bring their sick and lay them in the streets in hoping that even the shadow of Peter might fall upon them and out of that they could be healed. When the church is right, the people will come. We do not need to put on fantastic programs nor call in outstanding, phenomenal speakers, nor invite the most fantastic quartet or choir to perform. When the church is right, the people will come and will be saved because the Lord said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The problem in the church across our land is we're trying to do the drawing. We are not to do the drawing. It is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to do nothing but lift up Christ and He do the drawing to Himself. Jesus said, let your light so shine that you and me as individuals, that's us as a church, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. But he didn't stop there. He didn't say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. He said that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That which we do that is intended to draw attention to ourselves or to our goodness or to our morality will be the fringes of the church, the fringes of faith, the fringes of society because it's those people that lift up Christ that are the real members of the church. And he will draw people and our efforts will be designed to do nothing but give him the glory. So they brought their people. Lay them in the streets. There was a revival going on like you wouldn't believe. Not because of any great preaching that Peter had done, but because the Holy Spirit now was able to get back to the business of saving souls. Because the church was right. Did the apostles perform miracles? 
Yes, indeed they did. Peter was capable of even raising the dead. The Lord gave Peter that capability. Why were the apostles given such tremendous capability to heal and to raise the dead? In order that people could see the difference between Christianity and Judaism. To see that there was a, something different. There was a new day dawning. There was a power of God in the world through Jesus Christ that hanged on that cross that those very people had watched be crucified just a few short days before. But listen, this gift ceased when the apostles passed from the scene. Now I said the, the apostles could perform miracles and it no longer is available to mankind to perform miracles. But listen, God is in the miracle performing business. God is in the miracle performing business. And you know why he performs miracles? Well, there are many reasons, but primarily, of course, that he could get the, the glory out of it. But listen, we can cause miracles to be performed by our lives. We can cause him to do it. And he will in response to us. But it's based upon a verse that you all know well when it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now there are some important words in that verse. Effectual, fervent, prayer of what kind of man? The man that's on the fringes? The woman on the fringes? No, no. The Lord is not going to pay much attention to the prayer of the fringe. The Lord is going to pay attention to the prayer of the righteous man or the righteous woman. The one who claims a vital part and demonstrates a vital part of the church and its ministry. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man will avail much. Listen, God is interested in performing miracles in our lives. He would perform more miracles if we were effectual and fervent in our prayer life. There's where the power is. He wants his children to have the best. But to get the best, we must give the best. And our problem is we want the best God has to offer and we will in turn give the least that we think we can get by with. And we can't get our miracles that way. To get the miracle we want, we must give of ourselves fully and completely. You might think, well, what about all these faith healers that there are around? All of those that can call down power from God out of heaven and lay hands on and people get well. The quote, Oral Roberts of this country. And I'm not downing him any more than anybody else. I'm not downing him at all. I'm not criticizing him. But I want to point this out to all of those, quote, faith healers that are around the world. Take away the psychosomatic, that is, those people who think they're sick and who think they're healed by the fact that somebody laid their hands on them. Take that away. If you think you're sick, I can heal you. 
I want you to know that. I've got that capability. I can heal you if you think you're sick. You just got to think that I think. You've got to think that I can heal. If you think I can heal you, I can heal you. As long as you're sick with your mental attitude. If you think you can't walk, but you think I can make you walk, I can make you walk. Got that? Take that away. Take that away. That doesn't mean much. It's good that people can lead other people. All of you are faith healers in that category to somebody. You can perform a miracle in somebody's life and they will think that you did it if it is simply a mental attitude. Take away the showmanship. I don't think we need to have television cameras and huge cathedrals and people flock down to the front with all of the showmanship that goes on. That's not necessary. Take away all of the satanic deception when Satan puts his people in places to mock God by pretending that there's healing going on. And I know that there are many people who, who we see on television that appear to be healed that number one, were never sick to start with and secondly, pretend to be healed when they never had anything happen to them. Take all of that satanic deception away and take all the money out of the picture. Right. Don't have any of that floating around and you don't have anything left. Now listen, if there is a faith healer in this country, and I've said this a little bit before, and we talked about it one night in prayer meeting, I would like to invite this faith healer to go with me to the hospitals, and we won't need doctors anymore. Now this does not eliminate the fact that God can and God does heal. But he's going to respond to our request for healing because it will glorify and benefit his holy name. And if he is not going to get benefit out of it and glory out of it, don't you think that he just because we ask is going to perform any miracle? There are many people who would accept the healing of God and blaspheme him in the next breath. When people are tuned into God instead of tuned into TV or something else, then we'll see the miracles of God being performed because man has power with God. He has power with God in prayer. And God will hear and respond to us in relationship to our faithfulness. But don't you expect to get it from God if we're going to stand on the fringes. It's not going to be there. We don't have the power. Just like TV reception. If you're out on the fringe of the capability of the station to reach you, you're not going to get a very good picture. And that's exactly where most of us are most of the time, it would seem. We're out on the fringes and we don't get a very good connection to the power source. Well, what was the reaction of the community? Well, they got angry. The church, the leaders of the synagogue, the high priest, were very unhappy that these people were being healed. And they were infuriated. And they threw Peter and the others in prison. 
But they didn't stay there. Somebody picked the lock. The scripture says that an angel of the Lord that night came down and opened the door. Now you talk about divine intervention. Now let me tell you, I believe in the supernatural. I believe that God can and does intervene in our lives. And most of the time we don't even know that he's done it. How many times have your life been saved because God personally intervened? One of the favorite preachers that I like to read about is a Presbyterian preacher by the name of Peter Marshall who was chaplain of the Senate. His wife, Catherine, writes a good bit today. and His son, I understand, is preaching. Peter Marshall was a very belligerent young man. He was bent on having his own way in spite of anybody. And lots of us fall in that category, so you might want to identify yourself with Peter, uh, Peter Marshall. He was very angry one particular evening. He was a preacher. But he was angry at God because he hadn't gotten his way. Most of us get angry at God when we don't get our way. And Peter Marshall went storming out and out through the woods he went in the middle of the night, angry, shouting, calling on God, discussing this whole thing in, in very bitter words. And finally he tripped and fell flat on his face. And as he lay there, he was very belligerent with God. And just about that time the dawn began to come up. And he opened his eyes and saw that he was looking over a cliff. Had he taken one more step, he would have gone out into eternity. God intervened in his life and stopped him in his tracks to wake him up. Sometimes God performs the supernatural. I don't believe Peter Marshall tripped on a root. I believe God stuck out his arm and stopped Peter Marshall in his tracks. And I think that he will stop you and he will stop me at times because we are not living the way he wants us to live. Our lives, our attitudes, our mental a concept, our place in the church, our position, our life in general is not as God would have it to be and he will by supernatural means intervene to get us straightened out. There are other times that he will intervene in order that he can bless us with the blessing that we want. I am confident that many times he has intervened. You've heard all the stories of somebody who missed an airplane by some peculiar happening, and that plane crashed. I am convinced that there are cases in which God purposely kept a person off an airplane. I'm convinced he has kept my car from starting. I know he caused me, when I was trying to drive an 18-wheeler one time, was going across the mountains, that he did not allow me to make that trip and the clutch went out on that, that truck, because I wasn't capable of driving it. First time I've ever been behind the wheel of one. And I was determined I was going to take it over that mountain to get a load of cattle and bring back. Uh, that would have been the worst thing in the world for me to do. I know that he intervenes. He exercises his supernatural power because of what he wants us to do. Our problem with us is that we don't recognize when he has been good to us in stopping us in our tracks. And we want to lash out like Peter Marshall when God has been uh, 
good to us. It's divine intervention. And here's divine intervention. The angel goes down and opens that door of that prison and says to Peter and John and the others, now he didn't say go home and hide now so you won't get arrested again. He said go and stand in the temple and preach. And that's exactly what they did. They weren't liberated to flee. They were liberated to preach. God's supernatural intervention in our lives is to provide a means whereby we give God glory. If God intervenes in your life, you better thank him for it. If God stopped you from doing what you ought not to have done, we better thank him for it. He's got a purpose and a plan. And the plan is that we get off the fringes and into the thick of things. That we become a vital part of his church in order that we can be a vital link in proclaiming the gospel. He purged this church, and as a result, many, many people were saved. You and I are part of the end result of, this, of the thing that began to happen in this early church. All because of the intervention of God in the lives of this church. Does God intervene in your life? You better hope he does. You better hope he does. Maybe like Peter Marshall, stop you or stop me in our headlong determination to destroy ourselves. And if he doesn't stop us, we'll do it. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.